You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. tuning in for another episode of behind the horse's eyes i am always your humble host ryan man for two weeks in a row we've got bangers lined up i've got elora from fox hollow mustangs on today and it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with her and pick her brain on what her relationship is with america's feral horse not only that but talk a little bit about what she wants to do in the future as far as becoming a tip trainer and the breeding program that she's got going on with quarter horses and toward the end of the episode, I asked her if there was anybody in her life that was an inspiration, and she called out her friend. And it just so happened her friend happened to be in the room at the same time that we were recording, so I got her on, and I was able to get her story too, because her and her friend's story are so intertwined, and their roads are going in the same direction. It's not even the road. I mean, they're in the same vehicle driving the road. So it makes for an absolute awesome episode and i know every week i say the last one was my favorite and you know what this one here is one of my favorites too so far to do just when you sit down with great people like rowdy the week before or when i have jessamine rice on or i have flo smorgoner or i have my buddy skylar on you know when you've got interesting people it makes it so much easier and this was a very easy episode to do because i was genuinely interested in in what she had to say and i think you are too especially if you're interested in america's feral horse um you're you're gonna fall in love with this young lady and the passion that she has for these guys but a little housekeeping right off the bat first i'd like to thank the literate podcast network um for having us um they are great um, you can check out The Life Illiterate, which is an explicit podcast, which is me and a couple of my buddies, and we talk about everything under the roof of what it's like being a 30-something-year-old dad. That is a scary place to be, and that is in our minds. Also, there's going to be a new show dropping in the next couple of weeks, so be on the lookout for it. It is called The Roundtable of Mediocre Horsemen, and again, it's got me and uh, a few of my closest friends and content creators and horse owners and uh, also, that's a little bit more raw podcast, but it is going to be honestly just blatant how we feel about certain things in the industry, uh, certain directions some breeds are going, and if you're easily offended, that might not be one for you. So all that can be found at the Illiterate Podcast Network. They're going to host everything, and we thank them from the bottom of our hearts. Jesse over there is the mastermind of it all, the master mixers, the the number one MC in the nation of podcasts. My man takes care of all of us. Also, a little news for me. Um, if you're interested in coming out and hanging out with uh, some of my good friends, other content creators, uh, and everything, we're going to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, that's going to be Thursday, March 24th through Sunday, March 27th for Road to the Horse. Uh, if you've never heard of Road to the Horse, where you been? Road to the Horse is where pretty much everybody's favorite clinicians go and compete in colt starting. And it is absolutely a festival of the horse. I'm going to be checking out all the museums there at the Kentucky Horse Park. I'm going to be taking it all in, creating content. We're going to go live uh, while we're there. It, it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be a banger. I guarantee you we're going to have weeks and weeks and weeks for worth of Kentucky Horse Park stuff. Uh, I can't wait. So now with all the housekeeping out of the way, here's Alora with Fox Hollow Mustangs. And welcome back, guys. We are joined by Elora Brunel 
Fox Hi. Hollow Mustangs. Yep, Fox Hollow Mustangs herself from the Clock app. TikTok for those that don't know. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Just got back in from feeding horses. It was 18 degrees today, so that was extra fun. Oh, oh, it's it's currently 85 here. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, it it was currently. I I mean, yes and no. I, I would be jealous to an extent, but the room that I'm in right now, I had to cut all the all the circulating air off so we wouldn't have background noise. <laughs> um, I I feel like I'm in an incubator. Ooh. So it, it's okay. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like a, a, a wet mark in the seat when I get up. <laughs> so you started out, did you start out, What did, i tell you what, let's do it this way. What is your story? I think that's what everybody wants to know. What is your story? What led you to where you're at right now? Because I, something tells me that it's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> so I started in with horses. I was always interested in horses growing up. Um, however, we I really don't come from like a, much of a horsey background. Um, my parents di didn't have horses. My grandparents didn't have horses. Um, I got my first pony when I was nine and he was a Shetland that was raised out with uh, a bunch of goats, half wild, jumped on my dad from behind and we brought him home. So kind of says something about our horse buying uh, knowledge at the time. But um, so he was my first pony. He was a rank little little guy, but he's what really opened the door for me to get to where I am. Um, his name was Lakota. He bucked me off the second time I rode him uh, and actually knocked me out, which was super fun. Um, and from there, we ended up getting a pony for my brothers because they didn't want to be left out and horses for my parents so they could ride too. And I was in 4-H at the time and I actually stayed in 4-H until I was 19. And I went through the whole, I was a member, I was a junior leader. I w ended up being a leader as an adult and actually a project leader. Um, I was in the horse project. I got into uh, getting lessons uh, with my pony, actually, at the age of nine from R.E. Smith, who was a buckaroo vaquero style trainer out in the area. He actually lived down the street from us at the time. And that's that's really how I got into it was kind of through the. Uh, the avenue of 4-H really opened the, the, the door for me. Uh, getting into specifically the Mustangs kind of happened um, simply because we weren't really the, the most well-off as a family. So I was always kind of on the lookout for less expensive ways to do things and how to get more horses or uh, another horse the least expensive route I could because that's really all we could do. So we were actually at a backcountry horseman's rendezvous uh, in Red Bluff, California, when BLM was putting on an, an adoption event at the same time. And uh, I think I was about 13 or 14 at the time. And I insisted, I, we went over to the, the other part of the fairgrounds, over by the rodeo grounds where they've got the chutes. And I fell in love with a little Palomino mare. And I believe she was from... Fox Hog HMA, but I can't can't say for certain. She was adorable. I fell in love with her. Uh, begged my grandparents for her, and the funny thing was they actually said yes, but for one reason or another it didn't actually didn't actually happen. So, but I really started looking at uh, BLM closer. Started looking at the requirements for having Mustangs. Um, I looked into the Mustang Heritage Foundation and how to be a tip trainer, and that is ultimately my goal, um, is to eventually become a uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation tip trainer uh, for the trainer incentive program. And so that that really broadened my horizons into BLM Mustang specifically from, from just riding horses for the for the fun of it. Um, 
but yeah, so from, I got my first Mustang, which was uh, my black gelding Zephyr. Uh, that was three years ago now. I had him for two and a half years uh, before he passed away. But he was my first Mustang, and I've really got the bug now. Uh, <laughs> and I've got two more right now that I'm training and working with. And hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, I'll be going to uh, the uh, Sacramento Tip Challenge and meeting a, more trainers down there and starting to kind of network and uh, make friends in the specific uh, realm of horse training. So you ended up you ended up like a lot of people do in horses is because they were just young and wanted a horse, didn't know any better. Yeah. Because you have a very similar story to mine, except not without the Mustang. My uh, my parents didn't have horses. Dead. My dad grew up with mules. My grandfather had mules, but they plowed with mules because um, they were that poor. It wasn't a hobby, you know. Um, but I got my first horse when I was a young kid, and then come to find out I had accidentally stolen that horse and had to give it back. It come walking up on the property, therefore I thought it was mine. I didn't think anybody would come <laughs> looking for it, so I hid it in the barn. Um, yeah, so that's my, that's my story. Uh, very, you know, I don't think you stole a horse, but kind of similar, I guess. I, I might've tried. I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, th this thing was like a, a, a 30 year old sway back flea bit gray. It, looking back on it, that thing had to have been maybe 13 hands. So it wasn't even a horse. <laughs> um, I mean, horrible feet, uh, but it was the most gorgeous thing I'd ever seen in my life up until that point, you know? Um, so I know you want to be a tip trainer and I know you want to get involved with all that. What is your current relationship with Mustangs? Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got two right now and Sterling is a seven year old, uh, 15 mile HMA horse from out in Wyoming. <laughs> and he is the most challenging horse I've ever dealt with. Um, and I, I've kind of narrowed it down to a couple reasons why. He is, he was a stallion up until he was gathered at the age of five. And he was gathered the spring of the year I adopted him. So he was wild, wild stud up until six months before I got him. And especially since I'm just starting out, I really haven't handled that many fresh out of the wild horses. Yeah. I've had a tip trained gelding. I've got Phoenix. He's super curious, super easy to handle. He's spooky, but I get it. Uh, Sterling, that aloof, not wanting to connect with humans, couldn't give a flying fart about me. That's new for me. So he's been a struggle. Um, and just, I really like working with him because the, the wins that I get with him are super rewarding, but the L's that I take kind of hit me hard too, if, if that makes any sense. Oh, completely. As, as somebody who, uh, trains kids and trains horses, I get it 100%. You take more licks than you, than you do goals reached at times. Um, so being around Mustangs, and I know you haven't started any, you know, any straight from the ground, straight from the wild, still got that tag on. I know that is a huge deal in the Mustang world is when you can take, when you can take that tag off. Uh, I know people's got collections of them, you know, I admire those people. Um, but working with the Mustangs, do you feel like sometimes that people do set the ceiling a little too high for those guys and, and it dooms them to fail from the beginning? I, I ran into that quite a bit, too, um, and I, I think to an extent, yes. Um, people seem to have a, a schedule that they feel like they need to be on uh, for these horses, tag off in the first week, first touches, first ride in the first month or two, and that is really hard to live up to and just the for the everyday person. Um, and when I first got these guys... I didn't, I, I was in that mindset. I was like, I'm going to get on them, get them going right away. And that didn't happen. 
and it really shook my confidence level with these guys for a while. Um, like my sorrel that I've got, he went through a fence within the first two months that I had him. He he tried to jump over a panel, landed on it, scraped himself up. And I was like, well, I don't even know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you know, like, why am I even thinking I can do this? This horse just tried to jump out of a six foot panel and almost made it. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, well, duh, <laughs> you were pushing him too hard. Like he wasn't ready for any of the what, what you were trying to do. Um, so it it's a really awesome learning experience, but trying to maintain these goals, um, set time goals, it's not always feasible. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think uh, I think the breed. Well, you know, and I will use breed here um, because I mean. I guess it's more of a classification because you, really you could consider, I don't know, 80% of the HMAs as their own breed. Um, but, and I know that causes some controversy in, in the Mustang circle. You've got half that says, you know, oh, it's a breed, half that say, well, you know, technically, but that's neither here nor there. We, we won't, we'll save that argument for another day because I'm on, I'm on the fence. I'm not, I'm not there, but I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people see these extreme Mustang makeover type things, and they automatically assume that I know before it was twenty five dollars. I think it's one hundred and twenty five now with the price change. Um, that they can just go grab any horse um, out of the corral and get it loaded on a stock trailer and take it home, and in sixty days, that's what they're going to have. And I, honestly, I think though it really shows off what some of these horses can do. And we'll get to the question here in a second. I also think, me personally, it hurts the horses to an extent because now everybody thinks that they can do that. Even even people that I know that are really, really good trainers that work with stuff like warm bloods, off-the-track thoroughbreds, um, some of these really hotter horses, they get their first time with a Mustang with a tag on it, and they are lost. And in a way, I think some of that stuff it, it sets uh an unrealistic goal for the average trainer would you agree i i absolutely agree I, I think the average person isn't going to be able to do that um and also even just mentoring the the young lady that i am so far she hasn't even gotten the horse yet and i've already gotten such an interesting back like backstage look at what goes on at these events they have specific horses that they bring out and allow people to pick from so it's not just any horse back there at the corral they have a set group that they choose specifically that will excel at these events and i think that's great but it it's un, it puts unrealistic expectations on the average horse trainer that's going out there not for an event yeah, and because trying to the, a horse. yeah because the average adoption event and, and i know you know this the average adoption event is the horses that did not sell an online auction. Mm -hmm. Most adoption events now are pickup locations for online adoption and some spares. And right. usually it's usually it's yearlings and, and foals, um, which is actually – so there's one coming up here in my state in South Carolina. It's going to be West Columbia. It's about 40 minutes from me in a few months, and I've got $125 burning a hole in my pocket for a yearling. So if I randomly one day stop making any post on social media and the podcast dies, you know what happened. All right. <laughs> so with the adoption events, that's kind of a good segue into this. Um, the BLM catches a lot of flack. And I notice that most of the loudest voices toward the BLM are, are non-horse people. I think most of us that are horse people, we look at the BLM and we are agitated at times. Um, but some of us kind of get it. Where are you at on that? I get it. And I also, you know, I also see where the people who are anti-BLM roundup and management, I see where they're coming from. But I also, I know where they're getting their their information from. And it's yeah. not always the most open information, the most, you know, straightforward. They a lot of people get a very skewed view on what's happening and you know it, it's it's heart-wrenching it really is and i get it 
but it's not always accurate. And a lot of the times what these horses are facing out on the range is even more heart wrenching than the roundup itself. Oh yeah. I well see and um I can always show people a prime example of what uh unmanaged horses look like and I don't know if you've ever heard of the Cumberland Island horse that is a native horse near to me. Um uh, not near in my heart but near about to me. Uh, not that they're not, you know, close to my heart. Any horse is. Um they're within, you know, uh 2 hours driving distance or so from me. Um that is an unmanaged federally protected herd not that the herd is specifically protected they just live on a federally protected national seashore with that said uh you cannot mess with the wildlife and they've been deemed wildlife um they're dying there is a like a one in six um full survivability rate um they they were horses that were around 14 hands now they're averaging 12 and 13 hands um, they're all emaciated. They they barely live to be 15 years old. Um, yeah, that's what not management looks like. And so I always provide that information, and they're like, well, they've made it this long. And I mean, so and correct me if I'm wrong, I think the majority of them made it that long because introduction of army remount horses, um, introduction of other stock horses that got put out on the range, Um and management you know I, I would agree with that yeah i think a lot of people want the blm just to open the gates at the holding facilities and let them all back out and i think that's the worst thing you could ever 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 do for them um as a whole and the helicopter roundups i understand the helicopter roundups and i understand why because when you're dealing with these hurts if you're to deal with them on the ground via horseback I've, I've seen what happens. I have friends that live in places like Utah that run up on Mustang herds while they're trail riding, and that's sketchy. That Some of them would rather ride up on buffalo than Mustangs. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, fortunately, I don't live on uh, rangeland that backs up to BLM, but I've, I've definitely heard the stories, and I don't think any of my horses would react in any way favorably to any of that so no my none of my horses i could see my little half morgan now coming up on some some mustang stallion that's not going to end well because she thinks she's yeah. bigger than everything <laughs> and that, that's not that's not going to that's not going to go well so adoption what is your advice for somebody who's looking for a mustang if they let's say they're looking at and i know you haven't dealt with any but let's just say they filled out the application they're looking at the online auction which i don't recommend because you're going to pay 10 times more or what what you're going to do for a Mustang. I bet on a yearling that went up to $4,000 last month. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'd say, especially for a potential first time uh, Mustang adopter is honestly, if you're looking for something that you're wanting to train and you're not going to necessarily be wanting to ride it right away, go younger, uh, especially for your first time, go for a younger horse. Um, it's, Typically, they've got, still got a lot of curiosity to them. They're going to want to check you out more than what some of these older horses might. And every every horse is it's a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get, especially off the online auction. Um, you know, you, you you can look at the videos, but that doesn't truly tell you any any indication to their temperament. No. Um, the more alert calm horses might even just be so locked down on themselves that they're just, you know, bring it on. I don't care. Not wanting to engage. So my advice would be to actually go visit the corrals, tour them, talk to the BLM officers, uh, get a feel for different HMAs. What are you looking for in a horse? Um, and really do your research because, any of these horses are going to be a gamble, but any amount of research you do is going to help you kind of even out the odds a little bit and hopefully get a horse that is going to fit your needs. So what you're saying is and, I'm not completely dumb wanting a yearling. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. So here's my mentality. Here is my mentality as as the half-assed trainer that I am. My My mentality is this. I get a yearling. I've got a younger horse that's going to be curious, and 
I can kind of treat a younger horse a little more, um, a little more gently and a little more like a little buddy, then mm-hmm. you are definitely going to want to do with a two-year-old or a three-year-old because at that point is business. Um, and then guess what? I have an entire year or more that I get to work on nothing but groundwork and being that being something that horse can trust. I don't have to rush the process. So by the time when I come to do a first saddling, he should accept it. Yeah, and but that's that's my mentality with wanting to adopt one at a year as as a yearling. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, is that is that how you would look at it? Yeah, you know, I mean, you don't have to agree with me. I listen. No, no, listen. I I I honestly do. I everything that you said are great points. Um. Yeah. Um. Another thing you can do with yearlings is you can more easily toss them out with your own horses, and you're not going to have to worry about having to catch them up again right away or having any kind of herd dynamic issues. Um, your horses can help teach them to accept humans easier than they could an older horse. Let's see, an and older I was, horse is going to take gonna, Yeah, I was going to ask that is you take a yearling, you keep him quarantined. Um, obviously, you're, you know, you're bringing in a strange horse, been, you know, you don't know. And I'm not exactly. going to you know, turn them out. You keep them quarantined for a while, get the vet out, get them vetted. And then turning a yearling out with your other horses, you know, not having dealt with a feral horse before in that situation. And I don't think most people have unless you've worked with Mustangs and then have other horses. Um, that was going to be a question I was going to ask you was if if the horse could benefit from just running with your domestic herd that is trained and does have good manners and trust you that if they will somehow feed off of that and uh, and and learn through them to where, hey, when it's feeding time, they could just come right up and eat like everybody else. And the pecking order yeah, is decided. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, I turn my two out. Um, obviously, they're not ready for just being loose in the pasture but i've got a round pen i turn them out with my old my uh my domestic horses and sterling not so much he's a little bit trickier but phoenix definitely feeds off the other horses and he really tunes into okay the person's coming out we're gonna go say hi type thing um so that should be even even better with a yearling or a weanling even yeah, that that's how my that's how my donkey did uh, when I first got my mule. My mule was very standoffish. My donkey was like, "Hey, kid, come up. He's got treats," you know, and and that's how it that's how it worked. But you know, those horses are completely different. It's almost like, uh, and I try to explain this to people. What few mustangs I have been around in the past is that you're not dealing with a quarter horse. You're not dealing with a paint. You're not dealing with a thoroughbred, an Arab, or nothing like that. You might as well be dealing with a different species mm-hmm. because. They, you know, and I've had people compare them to Hancocks. I'm sorry. I've worked with Hancocks. Mustangs are <laughs> not Hancocks. <laughs> totally different animal. <laughs> they, they can, oh, they can, they have the endurance. They've got the size and they can be straight up rock crushers, uh, like a Hancock. Outside of that, that brain is wired completely different. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, what are some of the hangups that you see a lot of people have? Um, especially, where they hit walls and training these guys. And I know you've probably hit some walls, trial and error, you know, not coming up in a horsey uh, family. So you didn't have three generations of people behind you that were, that were training horses. So I, I assume you had to do a lot and learn a lot on your own, either via clinics or reading or however, however you did. But what are some of the roadblocks that you've ran across with Mustangs that you normally won't see with a, with an average horse, if any? Um, You know, the majority of it is really getting them to connect to you. I, I've had some real trouble. Um, you see people using the the join up or the uh, the the hooking on route, um, round pinning your horse, getting them to come into you. Some will do it. Some won't. Absolutely won't. Um, but it's a good tool to have in your in your tool toolbox and to use on them. But it's not always going to work the way you think it does. And taking taking everything that you do with this these horses and breaking it down into bare bones basics um, is really sometimes what you got to do. And 
that isn't always what happens with domestic horses is you can kind of go a little quicker. You can be a little bit more muddy with your cues, but with Mustangs, you've really got to crisp it up and have, have your cues be step by step and take what you get and go back and do it again. So uh, another thing is, you know, having the, the, the finances available to really make sure that you've got the facility to do it. You've got the ability to, um, to go to clinics and audit trainers and get the, the help that you might need um, when you run into issues with your training. And, you know, you never stop learning with horses. You no. always got to, no. you know, uh, what you know is not always what you're, you know, you always got to keep learning. Who's watching TikTok in the background? <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's staying in there. That, that's, that's pure comedy gold. Um, I'm just cutting up. The, um, what, what's your favorite HMA? I know you got one. My favorite HMA, I really like Devil's Garden. And I know that's really popular right now. People have really been advertising horses from out of there. They are cool. I, have I think heard... it's so cool. Yeah, I have heard a crap load about it on a lot of the, the groups and stuff because I've started joining the Mustang groups, trying to get geared up, and I'm starting to learn that I need to throw everything that I've learned in 20 years about horses and throw it the hell out the window because I'm going to start completely over with this. Um, but I've heard Devil's Garden come up a lot. I've heard, is it Kiger? Kiger? Kiger, yeah. Ki the, the Kiger horses and uh, is it the Kona Mountain? Uh, you know, I haven't, I don't know much about that one, so um, I, I couldn't tell you. I may be pronouncing that wrong. It starts with a Q, I think. Um, I'll have to look. I, I could be completely talking out of my butt at this moment. I'm sure this, <laughs> I'm sure somebody's listening. They're screaming, punching their steering wheel, going, you're an <laughs> idiot. Um, so Devil's Garden horses, for sure. I, from everything I've seen, a lot of them have really good minds. They're built nice. They've got good confirmation. Um, they're drafty as heck, and they're easy to work with. Um, and the more they gather them, the the better the horses are coming out of there, honestly. They're getting better in quality. They're getting better feed. Um, and I'm really liking the horses that have been coming out of there lately. So for those that don't know, you explain what an HMA is. So an HMA is a herd management area. So it is a designated lot of BLM land that these horses happen to be on. Um, a, when an HMA is referred to as a group of horses, that, hor that group of horses have been on there for so long that they've kind of become their own little sect of Mustangs. So they've started developing their own characteristics. They're separate from another area that might be even nearby. And I always tell people when they when they refer to Mustangs, oh, uh, that Mustangs, a Mustang is not just a Mustang. You've got herds that have uh, a lot of thoroughbred influence from like army remount horses from, you know, the 30s and 40s. You've got herds that even have gated traits. Not that they're gated, but they have gated traits. You've got herds that resemble curlies. You've got uh herds that are more stock type you've got herds that are drafty herds that have morgan like traits they're just they're all over the map and there's a flavor for everybody the the mustang hmas is like looking at the uh, american quarter horse association half of them horses could be their own breed but they all yep. fall under the umbrella of american quarter and that's not yeah, a knock sure at, yeah that's not <laughs> a knock at the american quarter horse association but come on half of those horses could definitely be their own breed you could take oh they definitely could yeah you could take two quarter horses put them side by side and you would guess the breed on one because you wouldn't know and they'd both be registered quarter horses just like yeah like running bred horses look completely different than cutters cutters are basically their own little thing and oh, yeah. i think it's super cool but oh yeah and then they, purely ranch bred horses compared to halter horses and uh and you know you get the influence of the appendix type horses that come in which are some of my favorite because of the sport that i'm involved in i'd love to see arab and thoroughbred influence and when I say Arab, it just all oh, the quarter horse people lose their mind. But I'm telling you, 
telling you put that brain on a quarter horse and watch magic right. happen. Um, so, and but with the HMAs and not to step back with the BLM for a moment, um, I think what a lot of people miss about the BLM is that they kind of had Mustangs dumped in their lap. Like that was not what that's not what they're what they were what that department was designed to do that bureau you know their their actual job was to preserve public land for public use yep and then all of a sudden they're like hey by the way you're taking care of these horses uh here's a minuscule budget just make it happen right. and the blm catches so much flack and they're like we're trying we're trying you know yeah and what people really don't understand for the most part is that the entire Mustang issue is a man-made issue. These horses, they are not native to the continent. Some people might disagree. They were brought in by Spanish conquistadors and explorers to use during colonization. And, you know, then they were left. And people moving across the country, they had horses, they were using them. They got out. They got left behind. They started breeding with the uh, the horses that were already there. You know, it's it's a purely man-made issue, not something that just happened overnight. So you have seen a big boost in your social media lately, and I am here for it. I, I started following you. Um, you had a couple thousand followers, I think. I started following you and, and watched you grow. And... You just hit 10,000, which is a great milestone. Road to 20K, here we come. Right. And, uh, With any how, luck, yeah. That's right. So <laughs> as, as social media, um, has it impacted you positively, negatively? Um, it's kind of been a mixed bag. Um, I really love being able to connect with other content creators, um, Specifically, you know, you, Skylar, I really like um, Sarah from the Rare Buckaroo. Yeah. Um, she is awesome. I love her content. Um, however, on kind of the other side of things, being a plus size person, especially in the equestrian community, not always do I get that positive feedback from the people that just happen to see my videos. Can, and can yeah, I that's stop fine. You? I can I can handle it. Yeah, can However, I stop you for a second? And yeah, just go, go ahead and say that you are a normal size person, <laughs> not a plus size person. That I you know, um I see that all the time. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just no, I gotta you're good. I see so much from these um ninety eight pound fourteen year olds um wanna talk about somebody who is at honestly a healthy weight. Um, and that is happy in their self, uh, and want to shame someone. Yet there is a 300 pound steer wrestler on a 14 hand quarter horse and no one bats an eye. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, uh, you know, lot, lot of, a lot of hypocritical ideas that yeah. end up happening, but I've made it, I've made it publicly. I think I made a video about it. I made it publicly that I like women built like halter brig quarter horses with the attitude <laughs> of an Appaloosa. So thick and spicy is, is, is my thing. Um, so I'm not editing that out. That's staying in there. All right. Yeah. That's staying <laughs> in there. Anybody that watches my social media, they know how I feel about it. Um, yeah, I see that a lot, you know, and that, um, and it's nuts. Uh, I don't know if you know Donnie. Donnie, um, uh, I'm a rancher uh, out of, uh, I think he's out of Iowa. I, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Donnie's going to probably shoot me a message and go, Iowa. Um, <laughs> but he is in the um, American saddlebred world. Um, and I have followers that are actually connected with Donnie and are buying horses from Donnie. Donnie has great horses. But Donnie has been impacted negatively. And all he's ever wanted to do is just be positive and people just attack him for it. If they can't attack him because he's got these pearly white teeth, they want to attack him saying, oh, you think you're a cowboy? And he's like, no, I own the farm. I'm a rancher. Right. Cowboys work for right. me. You know, and mm -hmm. we have such a so much toxicity in our world. And I know you're a Western writer and we have so much toxicity in our world. We're starting to look like. And I know my I live in a uh, an area that is predominantly 
uh, racing thoroughbreds, uh, warm bloods in dressage and over fence and thoroughbreds in dressage and over fence. I'm in polo. Um, I'm in a heavily influenced English world. I'm in Aiken, South Carolina, little Lexington, um, you know, is what we call it. You got Lexington, Kentucky, you got Aiken, South Carolina, and you got Ocala, Florida, east of the Mississippi. And I'm in right smack dab in the middle of two and am the third. Mm-hmm. And I see the toxicity that goes along in that world. And sometimes I feel that we are more toxic to our own. We eat each other alive. Have, have you yeah. noticed a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, people seem to have such a hard time, you know, just trying to build each other up. You know, you see somebody handling their horse in a way that maybe you don't agree with instead of saying, hey, what what is your reason for doing this? And trying to learn where that person's coming from, they automatically just attack and, you know, try to 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 knock them down. And I, I feel like you could be so much more influential by building people up and asking questions rather than just going for the jugular every time. Yeah, I, I always assume that those people probably don't have very good horses because if they approach horsemanship the way that they approach dealing with their fellow man, they've got bad ponies. That pony hates them. Yeah. I could I, I I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's I just I don't I don't get it. I don't I don't understand it and I don't know why. Um you can provide constructive criticism without going straight for the jugular. I had someone tell me I had a horse stolen. A partner and I were uh both involved in this horse. It was stolen. It was a picture I think the day we got the horse. So I just I threw I threw the thickest pad I had on it and a saddle that would remotely fit. She was due for fair and everything else, and I trotted her around the yard. I wanted to see what she could do, like most sane people would do. It's a right. new toy. Let's go play with it. And I had a commenter, very young, very young horse gal, go, I'm glad this horse was stolen. Poor fit and saddle, long toes. Yeah, you don't deserve it. And I'm like, that horse just come off the trailer from a bad situation. Yeah. You know, if if people took the time to even go back to previous content that could be made, they they honestly get a lot of their questions answered, you know, and feel like the information's out there and it's so easy to get to and people a lot of times just don't try. Now, I think most people most people these days read and watch things to respond instead of take in information. Um, I got a – I mentioned some – I didn't message. I, I commented on something earlier. Somebody had posted a thing about a horse that had survived the First World War and went on to win a, a horse's name Warrior, Thoroughbred. Uh, survived the First World War um, and then went on to win a, a race in the 20s on the Isle of Wight and died at 33, you know, um, right at the beginning of World War II. And – you know, they called it the horse the Germans couldn't kill. And one of the comments on there was a lady goes, well, it shouldn't have been there in the first place. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to understand that historically horses were uh, working animals first and companions second. And we can't take our modern ideology. Like today, we can't fathom a horse going to war, even though horses still do go to war all mm-hmm. the time. Um, I'm about to say you're in California, so I'm sure you know all about the Marines and Army training to pack out horses and mules. Yep. Um, it, it, because it, you know, that's, they they still have a job. Yep. And as, and as, as horrible as that sounds sometimes, it's, it's well, still a job. It's, it is still the, you know, horses are a big part of, uh, the American infrastructure as we know it. People just don't see it as often. Like for instance, here in California, we still use horses and pack mules to fight fires. Um, oh, yeah. a good part of the year, um, you know, packing into the backcountry and doing hose lay or um, building fire line or packing supplies to people that are in the in the backcountry. And it's hard. It is hard work for these horses, but they do it. And it's it. It's still around, but people just don't see it as often. So it must not exist. No, and I, you know, I get a lot of people in the in the, and I won't say a lot. I have gotten one or two. 
uh, in the UK that always say, I don't understand America's connection with the horse. We have a much richer history of the horse. We've gone to war on horses. We built our country on horses. And I'm to me, I'm always like, you've had thousands of years in the UK to build your civilization. We had a couple of hundred years and a handful of horses, and we made magic happen. And we had westward expansion. You know, they didn't experience western expansion. We, we, I, this country was founded on the horse. And that history is a lot closer, um, as far as the timeline goes, to where we are currently than I, I would say a lot of the uh, European history with the horse. It's, it's a lot more ancient and it, it's, oh, yeah. it's they, more of a, it's a closer connection, I feel, to, the horse with us here in america yeah they were they were industrializing and moving the cities while we were expanding west and exactly. i don't think a lot of people understand that that's why we have such a close connection to the horse and feel like that our story with the horse not that it's any better than anyone else's right um we've also went to war on horses too and yeah i, I just i don't understand when people say that it for us um while most of the european poor wouldn't even think about owning a horse uh you died here if you didn't right you know yep. so social media it's been good and bad for you yeah yeah it's it's been a a mixed bag of tricks but i'm i'm enjoying myself so far um and hoping to have even more fun with it uh in the coming months especially uh being able to kind of record and document um Jillian's daughter with this Mustang makeover challenge. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. The um anyone anyone you want to shout out? Anyone that's been there with you every step of the way, help guide you? Um, you know, Jillian has been such a big help. Um she does really that doesn't have any kind of a social media presence, but uh she she does have a TikTok. Is she, is she there right now? She is. Tell her to come in the frame. <laughs> I've heard you in the background. We got to get you in the foreground. Hi. <laughs> what What is your relationship with with ponies? Uh, for me, my mom worked at a ranch when I was a kid. We were super poor, but she used to take me to work with her sometimes, and I just I loved it. It was my favorite thing in the world. I wanted horses so bad, but we were poor, <laughs> and uh, when. We uh, moved, she married my stepdad, we moved to Iowa, and uh, I, when I was like 12, 13, I got to be a, a trail guide at a, a trail ranch, and super broke horses, but it was fun. I got to get the experience, and uh, my favorite part of it was getting to exercise the horses that didn't get to go on rides that day, <laughs> and uh <laughs> So I didn't have a lot of training experience. And then, you know, I went through high school, became an adult. Me and my husband got married. He was in the military for nine and a half years. And I just didn't have the resources for horses or anything. I just kept it on the back burner. And then uh, when he was getting out of the military, we moved back here into, well, I moved in with my mom while we were getting things sorted out. and. Uh, my stepdad ended up leaving her, and so she has ten, almost 10 acres of land, and her dream was always to have a ranch with horses, and uh, she just couldn't make it happen, and when he left her, she couldn't pay for everything, so we decided to stay with her, um, and that was six and a half years ago. Uh, or no, six years ago. Don't no. look at that. I wasn't here for most of that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so since then we've been through a lot of life, a lot of changes. Um, I actually got my own first horse two and a half years ago, and that you know I'm in my 30s, so it was like a whole new experience. And I got this this horse had been starved for a winter, and he was just in the saddest state when I first saw him and um I actually had someone who was boarding on my property and or mine and my mom's property 
And they were not very, they just got this free horse that was emaciated and their idea was, oh, I'm going to be able to ride this horse in a little bit. But they didn't do any care, nothing, no vetting. And I just watched this horse and I finally, after a month and a half, she hadn't paid any board. I said, hey, I will take this horse. I'll give, I'll even give you 300 bucks for this horse. I've got a few of those. <laughs> and uh, I, I took him, I got him fixed up. I got him weight on him and he's my partner he's whiskey i love him he's he's a sorrel jerk <laughs> but i i i tend to like my guys a little asshole you gotta keep it interesting yeah <laughs> my, my 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 trail horse is and it's funny that you say you used to work with um commercial trail ponies and I have a my little half Morgan. That's what she was in Colorado. She was one of those mountain trail ride horses. They would put anybody on her that they ripped all over her face and twitched around. So she was exposed to everything. But then that just being that it didn't matter how strong of a cue you've given her. She didn't know what to do with it. And yeah. she was snoot to pooper, as I like to call them, just in line. And that was her job. Mm-hmm. And everybody goes, oh, that must have been, you know, an amazing horse to find. I go, no. Those horses are a nightmare to work with because they know nothing, you know, yeah. they're just, they're, you know, and she's a complete dull deadhead. Um, but she's got, a, every once in a while, she'll get a little spunky and get too big for her britches. And uh, I just let her do it because I'm like, you know what? You showed emotion. You you can do that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes those horses can be really hard to work with. And a lot of people don't understand that. Well, and it was, I had been working with him for um, about six months and I'd gotten him fed up. I'd gone, you know, done a couple rides on him and then the season changed and it was, you know, getting to be fall winter again and his personality just completely changed and he turned into this crazy thing. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this, you know? So I started doing research on training and how to deal with it and, um, got kicked a couple times, (laughs) got, I, he was really bad about resource guarding, which understandable, he was starved for a winter, you know? Um, so I had him trained, you know, just on my own, I figured out how to train him so that he had to stand in a place before he'd get his food. And then I would call him over and he'd have to approach respectfully before he'd get it. And so, you know, I took him a long way on my own, but I was, I was afraid to get back on him because I didn't know what, what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so Alora and I had been working together at a dog shelter. <laughs> we were animal lovers and, you know, that was a natural course for us, but uh, that's how we met and became really good friends. And I, I, I'm like, Hey, you're tra- a horse trainer. You are going through an equine program at the college here can you help me with this and so she started coming over once a week to help me train this crazy horse and uh it our our friendship just got stronger and stronger through that and uh eventually that summer she her housing situation changed and I'm like well hey do you need a place to stay and so she she ended up living with us and then uh my mom actually passed away this past spring or last spring now um almost a year ago and uh so she's my best friend we're business partners together now with this and she helps me with my kiddos and the horses Well, it sounds like you brought her in to help you, and it must be mutual because she did not even hesitate when I said, hey, do you want to shout somebody out that's been there for you along the way? And it was just, boom, no hesitation. So I love my friend and I, Brandy. Uh, She's my show buddy. She is my partner in training. She is my – we flip horses back and forth to each other. When she runs across a project, doesn't have time, she'll go, hey, come get it. You know, I'll do the same to her, and – we have that type of relationship and it is mine and hers is more brother and sister uh, and we argue like brother and sister but we have the type of relationship where we can argue um because we know what's best for each other um because we've known each other so long and i love to see people have that type of relationship especially in the horse world when it seems like everything can be stacked against us at times 
Um, and it's always good to have that release, you know, yeah. someone to talk to, someone, someone to help. So, so do either, either of you want to shout out your social medias? Come on, we all need followers. <laughs> I don't have any content yet. Um, we got to work on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, really, all I'm really posting on these days is TikTok, but um, you can. I'm planning on starting up a Mustang-based uh, Facebook page, but do um, I don't have anything going yet. So when when you do, send me the information on it, and uh, I will start kicking people over that way. I appreciate that. I just as, will. Yeah, just just as long as we can get those that the only news source they have is Mother Jones not in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we're also thinking about starting a separate social media for. Um, our breeding too because um we do the mustangs but we also are breeding some okay uh, what do you read we have four brood mares right now hey hey i'll be in a minute okay um but we have four brood mares right now two yeah two two of them are registered quarter horse and two are registered apha Okay. Um, we had our first two foals this past summer, which are registered APHA, um, and that was Tonka and Lily. And uh, we have two due for this early summer. Um, one will be out of a uh, registered paint mare, and she was bred to a drum stallion. Yeah, she was bred to a drum stallion. Um, so it'll be a little drafty thing, and we're not sure if we're going to sell that baby or keep it for <laughs> future <laughs> projects. And then the other is going to be a, uh, out of Tamale, my uh, registered quarter horse, and that will be a fully registered quarter horse baby. So we're excited for new things, and awesome. we discovered that training babies is so much easier than training yes. Mustangs or rescues. That's what me and Laura were just talking about is that I'm getting ready to uh, adopt. I've worked with Mustangs, but they've all been in a situation like, you know, they've all been gentled or they have been somebody else's uh, mistake yeah. and they needed somebody else. Um, and I'm getting ready to adopt my straight one from the BLM here in a couple of months. And it's going to be a yearling. And I was I was even asking her, am I making the right choice by going yearling? Yes. You know? <laughs> so, but, you know, what? I'm glad I'm glad I got you to come on. And you tell your story too, because I honestly think both of your stories are intertwined, and that is the best part of it. And Elora, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and good luck with the breeding. I hope it I hope it goes well. And so, hopefully, uh, I'll see an article in the near future from the Quarter Horse News uh, <laughs> talk, talking about the horses you're throwing out there. That's the dream, right? <laughs> That's right. That's we're, right. We're I, starting from scratch with no money and nothing else but each other and a dream. And that's, it's hard, but we have it. So we're trying. You know, that's usually when good things happen. Yeah. It's, it's about drive and motivation. Drive and motivation. <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> I, I've been, I was told every day that why are you chasing cans on a Quorab? I said, because I believe in Quorabs what they can yeah. do and then uh when you have uh two world qualifiers on the same horse um people shut up yeah yeah <laughs> it's drive and determination so thank you again for both of y'all coming on and uh we'll have to get together again we gotta yeah, make thank uh, you for having us that uh i I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime yeah as, as soon as uh i was just thinking when uh the next time the you know the blm is always updating stuff and changing stuff so i'd love to get you and skylar on skylar is uh in fact i think i tagged him sometime back in the summer to follow you because he had a, a kiger mustang um that tore his acl and oh. uh yeah or something or, or hurt his knee or something and uh, i was like you know you need to follow her she uh I, I think she's got it together a little more than you do, bro. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and I think he did. Um, so, and I'm glad we could help you with, with 10K. We won't take all the credit for that. I think your content got you there. Uh, so we just, well, we I appreciate just, the help anyway. That was, we just, that we was just wanted, awesome. yeah, we just wanted our name attached to good content. How's that? Hey, there you go. It works. <laughs> so again, thank you both for coming on and uh, we'll definitely have to get you back again later. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it.